So I'm, my name's Sam Breen. I'm the college pastor down at Grace uh, Midtown. If you don't know, uh, Grace Marietta uh, is a part of a network of churches, seven churches, six of them in the Georgia area, one up in D.C., um, and uh, we kind of love to serve each other, love to help out, and uh, so I believe uh, Ben is in Philly, and uh, I was here a couple weeks ago, but it, I love to, love to be here. Taylor, uh, my beautiful wife, she used to be a part of this community uh, and is still part of this community, but just at a far uh, when she used to be a worship leader. And so we love coming up here whenever we can. Uh, it's a really, really amazing pleasure. Um, one thing I do want to say is that I, I was reminded uh, two weeks ago when I came that sometimes my voice is confusing uh, to people. Um, so Tyler was telling me the first time that I, uh, I met him, I spoke normally. And then he heard me preach and he thought I was putting on an accent the whole time. Uh, and it, you're confused, I'm confused, everyone's confused. I, I'm just going to say I'm sorry. Um, grew up in England, was there until I was 14, lived here uh, since I was 14. And so I just have this mix of an accent. And particularly when I like, like preach, I think it's because I'm like, crafting my words a little more thoughtfully, it just comes out English. Maybe it's a self-defense mechanism for people to like listen to me better, uh, but um, I don't know what it is. So just want to put that out. I'm not, I'm not putting this accent on, and probably when we get like see each other at the back of the room, I'll, I'll sound like an American. So I, I don't know what to tell you. It's very confusing, uh, but I don't know what to do about that. Um, let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the Word. So Lord... Um, we're so thankful for this day. Lord, we're so thankful it's not raining. Hallelujah. Maybe the, one of the first Sundays in the year um, that we can be together. Uh, but Lord, we just um, trust in your provision and your abundance in our life. Um, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for all of our needs, uh, for all the areas of lack. Um, Lord, we want to understand your resurrection life and how it impacts our life today. In your name we pray. Amen. So you guys are in a um, series called Practice the Resurrection. Uh, and so Ben started uh, this series kind of presenting this idea that the resurrection is an access to experience the fullness of life. Uh, and what I love about this is it almost feels like it's a spoiler alert for Easter. It kind of feels like we should be doing this on the back end of Easter. And as I was thinking about this, um, we... Yet yeah, is that we're like talking about the thing, but so often, I mean, I've been in church my whole life. Uh, this will be my 28th Easter. I was, you know, I'm a pastor's kid, so I've done Easter's. I, I know the story. And so often, uh, if you're like me, you can come to an Easter service and you miss the point. You say, yes, this is really awesome. But then you go into your life and you just kind of continue the same way. Um, what I love about this is it's like almost the pre-show uh, that it's beginning to tell us what the story should be like when Easter Sunday comes. Uh, so that when Easter Sunday comes, that we can actually begin to celebrate all that the Lord has already begun to do in our lives through this series, begun to awaken the things that we need to bring into the resurrection life so that when that Sunday comes, it's not just another Easter, but it actually begins to be a celebration that's of the fruits that we've begun to see in our life that the Lord has stirred up over these next months. Um, I do have to say that I love that Easter's on April Fool's Day. <laughs> I can just hear, I can, I can already feel the cringy pastor jokes. I mean, as a pastor's kids, I know them like, he's not in the tomb. Oh, April Fool's, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's gonna be all over social media. So just prepare yourself. Um, but... Um, 
I do, I do love this whole idea of experiencing the fullness of life now. That, and that something happened so long ago could somehow impact our life today. Um, what, I, what I love about, um, one of my favorite uh, scriptures about the resurrection is in um, Hebrews 8, where it's talking about Jesus as the high priest. And it talks about Jesus being the high priest that he will never die. Oft, uh, before we used to, when a, when a high priest would die, then we would need a new one and, and new laws would be set. There would be a new grace that would be needed. But what we have now is a high priest that will never die. That we don't need a new high priest, but the importance of that is that he's the one who will complete the work that he began. And so what I love is that we will have a resurrection one day. And amen to that, that we will one day be caught up with him, that one day that we'll be fully alive, fully understood, fully awake to what the, what the kingdom of God really means and that we'll be with him forever. But right now, we are experiencing a resurrection. One day we'll have a final resurrection, but we're having a resurrection now. And that's because there is a high priest who's praying over us, singing over us, bringing us to life now, and he will never stop until the day of that final resurrection. Amen? And so, what does it mean? What does it mean to have those resurrection moments? I know that you talked about fear um, last week, and, and this week we're gonna talk about the ordinary things. We're gonna talk about the ordinary things, and if the resurrection is an opportunity and, and an invitation to experience the fullness of life, it has to impact all of life, including the boring stuff. Most of our life is built up of boring stuff. I mean, unless you're like a celebrity or like a famous person, which I don't know if any. So you're all like me, great. So you all have like oil changes, like commutes, meals that you have to eat, like maintenance that you have to do, haircut, you know, this, the boring stuff of life. Does the resurrection life have any impact on those kinds of areas? Or, a, or a, the, does the resurrection life only get limited to or kind of confined into the spiritual things of life? What I would say is that the resurrection life has to allow into all things that we get to experience everything in relation to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, including our commute including our oil changes, including our meals, including the boring, ordinary, mundane, maintenance kinds of stuff, because that's what most of our life is filled with. So if it's not, how limited will our perspective be of the resurrection? What I love about Jesus is that he was always eating and drinking. In, uh, in Luke 7, um, 34, it actually says, he, he pronounces himself, the son of man came eating and drinking, but you viewed him as a glutton and a drunk. And what I love about Jesus is that he just says that your understanding is not my understanding, is that actually there's a celebration and that there's ways that I'm doing things that you don't understand. And there was a way that Jesus ate meals with people. Maybe the most ordinary thing that we have is, is eating meals. Sometimes we have those like crazy like celebratory kind of feasts, but so often, if you're like me, you're like running on the go, you're just kind of keeping your body alive by like shoving food in your face and like just getting through the day on kind of the most efficient, most effective way to kind of get through. 
But what I see Jesus, he does a different way of eating. He has a different way of being with people. He has a different way that's kind of presenting the, the way that I believe that the resurrection can offer to us. So we're going to read a couple of stories. Uh, we're going to read a, um, just a, um, a, one, of, um, one story that will be before the resurrection, one story after the resurrection. We'll kind of look at these two different kind of scenarios and sagas uh, as we go. So um, let's do this. You can turn to Luke 22, uh, and we'll be there for a moment. It's maybe the most famous meal of Jesus. While you're um, turning, I'll just take a sip of water. One thing just to frame our conversation. Um, Many scholars and, and a lot of people believe that it was actually the way that Jesus ate in the world was the reason why he was killed. That his way was so offensive, the way that he ate and the people that he ate with was so offensive to so many people that it was actually that that got him killed. It wasn't his teachings. They could deal with his teachings, but it was when his teachings began to impact real people and touch people and affect real people's lives, that's when they started saying, no, 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 hold on one second. And so what I would love to present is, do we have that kind of radical thinking of our mealtimes? Can we take the ordinary and, and make them extraordinary with the spirit? And actually, maybe one of the most extraordinary things is making the mundane radically available to all. And so, the most famous um, meal of, of Jesus, I'll kind of set it up if you don't know the story. Um, in, in this rendition, in Lucan's tradition, that Peter and John have been sent out in front of the rest of the team. Um, Jesus kind of said, hey, there'll be a couple people, they'll, they'll like invite you into this home, prep the meal of Passover for us. This is a really big deal in the Jewish tradition. They kind of had this under, understanding of feasts. But Jesus said that this one's really important. This one's really important. So Peter, John, my most trusted disciples, go ahead, make sure all of the preparations are ready, and then we'll come and we'll get, um, we'll provide the rest of the time. So we're gonna um, pick up the story. Um, let's, let's do it at 14. So Luke 22, 14, and then we'll, uh, yeah, let's see where we go here. So um, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I eagerly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this, divide it among you, for I will tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, this is the cup of my new covenant, the blood in which it's poured out. And when we, um, when we read this passage, we so regularly um, connect it, rightfully so, to communion table. 
But what I want us to do is just go back to the first time. Just think about if you're in that first room. This is the way that Jesus did things. He was constantly breaking bread. He was constantly creating a meal and then offering it to many. So regularly, our meals are individually focused. So regularly, the meals are about what I can get, what I can consume, what I can receive from this moment. Well, what Jesus' picture, and I think the radical picture of Jesus when he's eating is that actual mealtimes are when he can host others. When he's saying that there's actually something else that's happening, yeah, we think that we're just consuming now, but actually what I'm doing is I'm producing fruits of the Spirit in this moment. Can you receive? And there was such a significant way of Jesus that past, past his resurrection, it was the way that the disciples recognized him. So read this. Um, turn two pages in Luke to um, Luke 24. And at this point in the story, Jesus has died, he's, he's risen again, and, and he's kind of appearing to his disciples, and they're trying to figure out, is this the real Jesus, is this a ghost, is he um, coming back for good, like, do we have to go back to what we were doing, or can we go on to what's new, like, they're still kind of confused, and Jesus is kind of unhelpfully appearing and disappearing, um, but that's okay. And so there's, in this story, in Luke 24, one of my favorite stories uh, is there's these two disciples on a journey to Emmaus, which I assume is their hometown, thinking, okay, Jesus is dead, like, I guess we just have to go home now. Like, w what else are we gonna do? Like, everyone's confused, everyone's even scared, everyone's a little afraid about what the religious leaders are gonna do. So let's take the seven-mile walk home, and on the way, let's, let's have a conversation. And Jesus appears on that journey, uh, and they don't recognize him. Uh, but they begin to ask him, like, he, he asks them, like, hey, what are you guys talking about? They're like, don't you know? Like, haven't you been checking your Facebook? Everybody, everyone's talking about this Jesus of Nazareth. Like, everybody's talking about this, this thing that happened. And what Jesus said is that you think that I have a lack of understanding. And then he reveals that he's actually the one with the most understanding, as then he reveals that he's been working and the Messiah has been presented through the Old Testament into the prophets. And so they have this seven-mile theological conversation, but still they're not, he's not recognized to them. He's not recognized them until this. So in, um, in Luke 24... This is what it says in 30. So they've, they've come into the town and Jesus was gonna keep on walking and they say, don't walk, come, let, let us host. What I do know about Jesus and the way that he worked is that he taught his disciples to do the things that he did. And so he was a host, they became a host and they happened to be hosting their, their leader, Jesus. And so they say, Jesus, come, come stay with us. Don't, don't keep on walking. But then in 30, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. We've heard that language before. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from sight, very unhelpfully. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while we were talking on the road? And when he opened the scriptures, they got up and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and with those that were with them assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then those two told what had happened on the way 
and listen to this, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I love this, that I, I, I love theology. I, I love it. But what I find is that theology can only get us so far. It's the way that we live actually allows people to come into the kingdom. Theology can help us understand the kingdom, but really to come into the kingdom, we have to have an experience. And this is what Jesus was saying. There's a way that I do things. There's a way that I host people. There's a way that I, that I live that's so not just radical, but also transformative. And so in meals times, their eyes were open because they saw, this is my Jesus. Only, there's only one person that I've ever met who, who functions like this, who breaks the bread, blesses it, and then gives it to me. This is my Jesus. Their eyes were opened. And so, can we begin to think of ordinary things radically, but also transformationally? That ordinary things that we think are so mundane, so boring, could actually be radical because we offer it to anybody, but also somehow can be transformative because of the spirit that's working within it. It's not the spirit that's working, it's not our spirit, but the thing that's transformative about anything is because the spirit works inside of it. The person um, that I know who did this best, um, I wanna tell you two stories. A guy called Mike Pilavacci, one of my uh, mentors when I was, um, when I was 18, I, I lived in England and, um, traveled around the world with him for a little while. So five of, a, five of us lived in a home and we would have meals at Mike's house. And um, Mike followed the way of Jesus when it came to meals better than anybody else. He was so others focused when it came to meals. Um, he just was the, he's the best host that I've ever met. There's something about hospitality that allows us to taste the kingdom. Jesus even talked about the kingdom in these kind of terms, that there'll be a, there'll be a king one day that there's throwing a massive banquet and we get to be invited in, that there's something about hospitality that allows us to engage with the, with the kingdom of God unlike anything else. Mike understood this, and so we would, um, there was this one particular barbecue that I, I remember at his house. Often in England, we don't get to barbecue because it rains all the time. Um, so when it does barbecue, we celebrate. Um, but we were going over to Mike's house, and uh, he's, he's Greek, so he really leans into this meal stuff. Uh, I don't know if you've ever met a Greek family, but they love food. And so Mike's uh, just like that. And so we showed up at his house. He has four loaves of ciabatta bread for like six people to eat already. So we're, we've got the olive oil, we've got the balsamic vinegar, he's got the grill going. And it's not what kinds of meat do you want, it's what quantities of the meat do you, that you're gonna eat. That he, I'm, I'm not kidding, it's gonna sound like an exaggeration, but he had wings, chicken breast, pork chops, lamb ribs, two kinds of steak, as well as two baked potatoes for everybody to eat. <laughs> I, I like, I'm not kidding, and it, it was like, it was a progressive meal over a course of about two and a half hours that we were just enjoying each other, like celebrating what the Lord was doing. We had just come off of like a really long, hard journey. Like we had just been gone for about a month doing some mission work. And so we came back and we were just celebrating all that the Lord does. And he says, I want you to experience the abundance of the kingdom. 
When people have meals with us, do they experience the abundance or do they experience scarcity? One of them looks like the kingdom of God. One of them looks like the kingdom of man. Can we begin to host people so they experience and engage in this abundance that they have? What's amazing about Mike is that he was the best host in his home, but he's also the best host in the world. Just not like ranking-wise, but among the world. Um, he, wherever he was, he just believed that he was, had an opportunity to serve others and give them anything that he could. So we were on one of these travels and we were in South Africa and he said, hey, we're gonna go have a meal with some of my good friends. Um, I haven't seen them in a while. We're gonna go see them. We get in a van. Uh, again, there's about six of us, seven or eight of us uh, in a van. And we're getting off a freeway in, in Durban, South Africa. Uh, and Mike sees two boys, probably about 12 years old, panhandling just at the exit of the freeway. He winds down his window and he says, hey boys, go tell JJ, Mike's here, we're gonna go eat. And so these boys run off and Mike lets us know that we're actually gonna have some, uh, we're gonna have a meal with some of his friends that affectionately are called the street boys, um, that JJ is a leader of what many would understand as a gang, but it's just a group and a community that are trying to get by in really hard circumstances. Um, that Mike has been going back to South Africa multiple times a year, and every time he goes, he carves out a whole afternoon to spend time with these boys. And so uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't any different this time, and, but we just got to be engaged in the process. And so we showed up at Steers Burger House in South Africa, which is just like a cookout, but not the same thing. Nothing crazy, but just a fast food restaurant right really close to the beach uh, there in Durban, South Africa. And within about 10 minutes, there was 20 boys uh, in the restaurant, kind of out on this front deck, ranging from about six years old to like early 20s. Most of them in their teens. Most of them live on the streets, are trying to figure out what life looks like. Some of them are criminals because they steal to to find their food and to try and figure out what life looks like. Most of them are HIV positive, not by, by their own kind of reasons, but just because they were born that way. That life has just maybe got the best of them in a lot of circumstances. But when Mike shows up, abundance and celebration begins. That Mike rounded us all up and he said, all right guys, you know the drill. If you've been here before, you can get whatever you want. Whatever you want, doesn't matter, it's all on me. We're gonna be here for a few hours, so if you don't wanna go first, it's fine. These boys, they've never got to choose. They usually have to get the scraps. They usually have to get the leftovers. Many of the things that are in their lives, again, aren't, aren't by their own choices, but are because of people's actions to them. What a liberating thing to say, you get to choose. You get to, you get to have dignity. You get to be a person that has any opportunity. And so these boys, they would all line up and they would just order outrageous amounts of food. Of course they would. And they would like store it in their backpacks and Mike didn't care. But we would just, we would just sit there for hours. And so me and the other team of interns, we would kind of like chat to different boys and the younger ones, six and seven, eight-year-olds, uh, we would play tic-tac-toe kind of in broken English, trying just engaging, smiling, laughing, just enjoying 
company together. It didn't matter that we didn't have a language. What we knew is that we were celebrating in this moment. Some of the older boys, we would eat French fries, we would kick soccer ball on the, on the beach, and what I would hope is that they would, they would feel normal for the first time in a long time. Uh, that people wouldn't be scared of them, but would actually want to embrace them. Mike had this way of just hosting people. He would, he would kind of like scurry off and then come back and with like pairs of shoes because he would notice that some of the boys didn't have any shoes and so he would just provide. Mike was believing that hospitality was just a way of living. It wasn't confined into um, his house that people would have to come to him, but actually that he would be able to host people on their terms. Do we have this perspective? Do we, do we believe that we can actually host people on their terms, or do we have to assume that people come to us before they experience our hospitality? What I would hope is that our mealtimes, our, our understanding of hospitality could actually shift towards this radical, transformative way. that there's actually a different way to live. There's, there's the way of Jesus um, that we can engage in. What, um, what happens when people experience the Spirit when we host them because we host the Spirit within us? Let me say that again. People experience the Spirit when we host them because we host the Spirit in us. That's, what, that's actually what it, that's what it means by practicing the resurrection. Having the opportunity to be a host of the Spirit, be the temple of the Spirit, on the back end of the crosses, that's the opportunity, that's the invitation. But when, I think maybe unlike anything else, hospitality gets an opportunity to see, taste, and experience the kingdom of God like no other. I love the psalm that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. What a better way to do it than over a meal. Do we are, we, are we living this way? Are we living this kind of life? One more story um, from the Bible. So in, in John's, uh, at the end of that Last Supper kind of conversation in Luke actually, uh, Peter says, Jesus, I won't deny you I'm, I'm gonna be the one who goes to prison, goes to death for you, like, you can count on me, like, take it to the bank. In John's gospel, uh, and also in Luke's, what we see is these kind of moments where he, um, maybe the most shameful moment of his life, maybe the moment that he regrets more than anything else. In John 18, uh, what we see is, um, Jesus has been arrested, and, and Peter and John again, are together and, and they're following the crowd of people who have just arrested Jesus. They've just arrested Jesus and they're taking him to the court of the high, the house of the high priest. And, and John gets to go in and Peter kind of gets to follow in later. And, and Peter's kind of watching from afar what's happening, thinking, this doesn't fit in my understanding of what Jesus was going to do. Like, I'm really confused in this moment. And so, He's standing by a coal fire with all the, the, the servants and the, um, the guards. And this little servant girl comes up to him and says, aren't you one of them? 
Aren't you one of the disciples that are with him? And again, maybe in the most shameful, maybe in the most broken moment of his whole life that he probably regrets more than anything else, he said, I'm, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And he does it consequently two more times, and there's this, this shame that's on his life, but what I love is that Jesus heals this shame over a meal. In John 21, Jesus has died, he's, he's, he's resurrected, but Peter's still dealing with this shame. Peter's still dealing with the consequences of his actions, knowing that, okay, the cross and the, the resurrection mean something, but I'm still confused. Jesus is still appearing and disappearing kind of unhealthily again. Um, what, do I, what do we do and like, how does this affect the brokenness in my life? And so the, the story in 21, Peter, James and John, and a bunch of others, they, um, they go fishing. I guess this is what we do. When, when we find that Jesus has gone away, we just revert back to our past. The guys that rode to Emmaus, they just went home, believing that's where they could go. Peter, James, and John, they were fishermen, and so Jesus was left, and so they were like, let's go to, let's go to my old way of life. They were, they were fishing, and like a time before, they were having a hard time, and they weren't, um, they weren't catching anything. And in verse 4, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize him. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because it was such a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As, as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him at, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Never made sense to me. Put on clothes to jump in to assume. I, I don't know. I think there's a cultural thing that I don't fully understand there. Um, uh, and then the other disciples followed Peter in the boat, which he could have just stayed in, um, because it was a hundred-yard swim. Pretty decent way. Um, when they arrived, when they landed, they saw the fire burning coals where the fish was on it and some bread. I just want to pause here, and there's only two, two times in the whole of Scripture that there is a coal fire burning. There's a specific word in Greek that refers to not just a log fire, but a, but a coal fire. The other one was when Peter was warming his hands, denying his savior, denying his best friend. I can kind of envision this moment that Peter, like in complete like excitement, elated by, his, by seeing Jesus, jumped out of the boat in excitement, Came to, the, came to the beach, but then smelt the coals, and that shame set in. And he was like, oh gosh, like, yeah, Jesus is here, but Jesus is here, and I denied him. Am I about to, like, be pushed aside? Like, what, what's about to happen? And then there's this kind of, like, awkward mealtime that happens. And so, 
Where was I? Oh, here we go. He said, bring some of the, the fish that you have caught. So Peter, and, uh, so Peter jumped back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and, there was a, uh, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net did not uh, break. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples uh, dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. There was something away about the way that he was serving them that was just evidence that he was Jesus. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time he appeared to Jesus. Uh, the, sorry, he appeared to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. Then after the meal, Jesus said to Peter, Son of uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, son of Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then a third time he, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him for the third time, do you love me? And he had said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he explained his death and how it was gonna be similar to, to even Jesus's. But final sentence, final phrase was said, follow me. Follow me in the way that I live. What I love is that Jesus in his mercy, he didn't confront Peter he just had a meal with him. When Peter was feeling such shame, he said, come in. I'll serve you again. I'll serve you again. And what it feels like when he's asking those questions is, will you just release that shame, Peter? Will you release it? Will you allow me to come and change the most shameful, the most broken, the most distant memory? Will you, will you allow my resurrection life even to touch that? And this is where I want to end. This is where I want to just offer two things. I, I think one response to this conversation could be just renewing and reframing our our understanding of the ordinary things. That there is a opportunity to make the ordinary things extraordinary when we enter into this practiced, resurrected life. That things could, that were once mundane can now become radical and transformative for people. That there's a way that we live that actually changes people around us. What is it for you? Is it meals? Are there meals, are there lunch Lunch times when you're at work with, with your coworkers that you could actually begin to serve them instead of just being isolated? Are there ways that when you're walking around your life that you can host people with the spirit that's living within you? Can people experience the kingdom of God? And you can start rolling up, but the, the final response that I think is that we don't have a Jesus to offer us a meal on a beach. 
but we do have a Jesus that will offer us a meal every Sunday. That actually this is the most radical, the most transformative meal that there's ever been and will ever be. That it's radical because it validates the ordinary, it validates the mundane, it's offered to everyone without discrimination. What radical nature is that? But it's also transformative because it's the access, it's the opportunity to experience the resurrected life. And so if you are a person who's feeling the parts of your life that you'd say, this is where shame, maybe some guilt, maybe some fear is, and Jesus can't redeem that part. What I would say is that I I love this quote from John Ortberg that says, Jesus doesn't want your spiritual life, he just wants your life. Because he's not giving us an opportunity to have like incredible worship services forever and ever and get rid of everything else. No, there's an opportunity in this resurrected life, yes, to have incredible worship services, but also to have redeemed relationships, to also have your habits be transformed, your addictions be broken. Where in your life do you think that the resurrection life could never touch? And for for you, what I would offer is just come to the table and be served by the King. Be served by the one who loves you. Knowing that you don't have to figure it out on the way, you don't have to figure it out before you get there, that you can just have an opportunity to come. There'll be prayer people at the back of the room if you wanna pray. But can we walk in the way of Jesus? And can we know that the way of Jesus can affect our life today?